Hello, and welcome to The Worst Bestsellers, where we read about forget-a-girls and intoxibellas so you don't have to. I'm Renata. And I'm Kate. And for this episode, we read Modeland by Tyra Banks. Joining us to discuss this YA dystopia-like object is Margaret, librarian and host of the best 24-7 slumber party on Twitter. Hello. Hi. Hi, guys. Welcome Hi. back, Margaret. It's a delight to be here. <laughs> Longtime listeners of Worst Bestsellers will recall Margaret from our follow-up episode to I Didn't Come Here to Make Friends by Courtney Robertson, where, ironically enough, we made friends with Margaret. Oh. What a twist. What a twist. <laughs> Courtney could have seen it coming. Tyra could not have. <laughs> right. Then to cement our friendship, we made her read this book, and now she probably whoa. wants to murder us. Whoa, 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 whoa. That's not fair. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Margaret picked this book. book. <laughs> I am so sorry. Because <laughs> I was kind of lobbying against it, because I already read it when I was in grad school, and I didn't super want to reread it but i did (laughs) (laughs) and i just thought it would be funny i didn't really think through the fact that it's 550 pages long very um and literally the worst book i've ever read in my entire life and i have something really important that i just want to get out of the way like right up front Mm -hmm. uh which is we're going to describe a lot of things in this book that sound so bad it's good and what I need you to take away from this is that the describing of them and the learning about them is a part that's so bad it's good. The book is not so bad it's good. The book is just so bad. <laughs> to I, me. I feel like if it were better edited, like yes. if it had been all this wacky stuff, but it was maybe like 200 pages. Okay. Yeah. Oh, but definitely. it it really drags it on. It, it takes some weird journeys to get you to the information you need to know. And then it takes a fork and abandons you before getting to what you would think would be the destination of this book. Yeah, Yeah, I have to say that I I think that's a good summary of it because I did find it compulsively readable. I was interested enough, even in a like, what the hell is going on kind of way to keep pushing through. But it definitely dragged. Like there were parts where I was like, Jesus Christ, like still, we're still doing this. Um, But I I, I have to admit that it is not the worst book I've ever read. (laughs) Well, and what's funny too is like, I didn't really want to reread this because I remembered not really liking it. I remember it being so long and all that. But on rereading it, I think that reading all these shitty books for this podcast has just really changed my definition of what a bad book is. So I'm for, <laughs> like, this is not the worst. This is not. This is probably in the top like half of books that we've read for this. Oh, easily. <laughs> I mean, you compare this to Greg Gutfeld. I would read two thousand pages of this, <laughs> which is four. I of these. have never respected or feared the two of you more than I do right now in this moment because I am not strong enough to do what you do week in week out I don't I I couldn't I just this book almost destroyed me (laughs) no you're stronger I just mean I remember there are points where I was going through reading it and I was rereading paragraphs over and over again trying to figure out like what it was even trying to say. And I was like, the last time I had this much trouble reading a book 
it was Infinite Jest by David Foster Wallace. <laughs> and like, at least there, I felt like I felt like I was supposed to be struggling. You know, and I, I I'll say this: I kind of wish Model End had some footnotes. I think that could have helped. Yes. <laughs> Before we describe any more, how let's try to how get into a is. plot summary and say like what was supposed to be happening. We think. Right. Although this is, I was talking about this with one of my friends earlier, and it was like, I think any plot summary to this book, like, we're doing more hard work trying to project concrete and, like, plot onto this monstrosity than, like, Tyra did in crafting a plot or this monstrosity. <laughs> like, we're working harder to summarize it than she worked to write it. It took her five years. Which is scary because that means maybe a sequel is in the works and it's just not going to be published <laughs> until 2016. I can't wait. Um, but so, so Model Land is the, Model Land is the name of the book, and it's also the name of like the Hogwarts. Let's just do this all in Harry Potter terms. Sounds yeah, good. I think that's Let's easiest. Go for it. Model Land is the Hogwarts of modeling, and this takes place in a world where. The only kind of celebrities there are are models. Uh, there aren't, you don't get famous for any other reason. Although there, like are, there actresses, are actresses. But there are actresses. But they're garbage. They're, they're just failed they're, models. Yes, the actresses the are failed around. models. Which I feel Human like is Tyra's like real good zinger on people who make fun of models for being failed actresses. Like Tyra's like, yeah, I really turned it around on them. Like She smiled smugly to herself when she typed that. She smiled Oh, yes, of course she did. Um, I remember when this came out, I read a review saying that it's so weird that it made them believe that Tyra really did write it herself and not get a ghostwriter. And I was like, yeah. Yeah, Tyra absolutely wrote this herself. There's no question. I was describing it to people. I was like, you know, I would say like da 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 da. And then she and, and everyone was like, oh no, like famous people don't write books. I was like, if you read this book and you saw how poorly crafted it was, you would believe yeah, that she wrote it herself. Never, I 100% believe it. You would never besmirch the good name of ghostwriters yeah. by, this by is, laying this brick at their door. This is a bankable book from <laughs> Bankable Productions, which is Tyra Banks Production Company. Um, anyway, uh, so, so Model Land is the Hogwarts, and instead of getting your letter delivered by Owl, what you have is once a year there's something called T-Dod, which is the day of discovery. And on that day, every um, youth in the world goes out and just walks around publicly because scouts are out looking for their next class of potential models who are called Bellas to take to model land. And uh, so Bella, I guess, is like a wizard model. And if you graduate, then you become an Intoxabella. And the Intoxabellas are like the top models, and they also have magic powers. Yes, of various seven. seven? There's seven magic different powers? kinds of magic powers. Yes, so you could have like six sensa, where you have um, you can kind of see the future of fashion. Wait, no, or is that a different one? Fuck. There's that one. There's multiplicity, where you can like multiply yourself. There's Camellia Leone, where you can you're like mystique, basically. You can tele teleportal, where you can tel teleport. I mean, that's what it is. Oh yeah, 
Um, and every year only seven in Taxabella's graduate, and they're called the Seven Seven, and that stands for stunning, statuesque, strobonic stars with stupefying stratospheric struts. But there's also mm. a sometimes a triple seven, which is one of those people who has all seven of the possible magic model model powers. And the last triple seven to have existed, the I don't know. I guess I guess is she the Harry Potter or is Tukey the Harry Potter? Tukey's I think the Harry she's Potter. like the Hagrid. Oh, kind of. Well, she's like the Hagrid crossed with the Dumbledore, <laughs> and the Belladonna is like the Dumbledore crossed with the Voldemort. <laughs> right. You're right. Because <laughs> she both. Spoiler on her summary, fetches, fetches uh, Tookie de la Creme, our hero, to Model Land, and mentors Tookie de la Creme at Model Land. Yeah. So, I can't. I can't. I'm done. All right. I'll, I'll take over. I'll take over. It's fine. It's good. I'm so, crying. One, <laughs> one of the things that can help people get into Model Land, who can help them be chosen is um if you have a smize which is glittering eye makeup i guess that i think it's like eye makeup slash glasses yeah like a temporary tattoo of glasses i think it comes out of your faucet as (laughs) glasses and then when you bring it to your face it applies itself to your face as quote-unquote three-dimensional gold eye makeup Whatever yeah, that means. So there's but awesome. I imagine it resembles like eye with a textured gold eye makeup on the cover yeah. of the book. Yes. Um, so those come through the faucet or, or are, are found in water. And if you have one, there's better odds that you will be chosen to be a Bella. Um, so the, the book opens with Delorem, who is the Forgetta girl the most pathetic human being in all of model land i would imagine she oh, in has... all of in all of the the world of model land yes. in all which of we the have world to, of there's model. like weirdo countries in here that are all sort of based on real countries but uh... or real things in the world like like some of them are like like a country that's just like a huge country sized walmart yeah boobity but other places are like india Yes. But with a funny name. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so so Tuki, uh, she has, she calls it hair with multiple personalities that is hard to tame. She has two different colored eyes. Her mouth is three centimeters too wide. Her forehead is too big. She's all gangly and she has big feet and she feels like she's invisible to everyone. And to compound this invisibility, several times throughout the school day, she will leave class and lie down in the middle of the hallway and wait for someone to acknowledge her, and no one ever does. Yeah, this is I how pathetic her life is. This is one of this is also like one of the first points of just like weird, complicated, unintentional ambiguity, which is like there's a fine line between like Tookie imagines herself to be invisible to everyone. And, like, Tookie actually functions as invisible to everyone. And for the first, like, before Tookie goes to model Hogwarts, she seems functionally invisible to people in the real world. And then 
once she's at model hogwarts that vanishes yeah then she starts getting bullied she literally lies down on the floor and people don't step on her because they don't see her right people drop things next to her and like don't see her and like in the first third of the book like if anybody sees her like she's like shocked She's like, oh, my God, the only person who gets to see her is like a crazy, like wandering mental homeless mental patient who who like self injures herself slash her best friend. Yes. And she she has a crush on this boy, um, Theophilus or Phyllis, perhaps only because one time he actually like she was lying on the floor and he like stopped before he stepped on her. And so she's been really grateful ever since. Yeah. Uh, so, so Tuki is get a girl. That's a name that she comes up with for herself because she's so pathetic. She literally signs her name with an FG as the dot of the I. And we see a lot of the book as letters written from Tuki. So we see that signature many times. By yes. the way, where does she write these letters? You are not asking, oh, but I will tell you. In T. <laughs> that they are written in her T-mail jail, which is what she calls her diary because it's Tuki's mail jail because she'll never send those letters. She just puts them in jail. And the fact that it happens to be the same name as the messages that Tyra sends to model contestants on America's Next Top Model is just a coincidence. Just Yeah. <laughs> By the way, the so the way that Tuki describes herself will be familiar to anyone who's ever seen Top Model because it's the way Tyra always describes herself when she's, like, trying to cheer up models. And she's like, you know, when I was a teenager, everyone was like, your forehead's so big and, like, whatever. And now look at me. I'm a Top Model. And, like, every, like, you know, she does that every season pretty much. And then yes. also... Multiple Tuki times does every yeah. season. Yeah, yeah. So, so what we're saying is that Tookie is just one of the many... And she's one of the many... She's the first of many Tyra Banks stand-ins that we're going to encounter throughout the book. right. So, so she's the Harry Potter, and then, um, then the Dudley is her sister Miracle, or possibly Miracle, who, um, you know, is both her parents' favorite and who is clearly going to be the one who gets to go to Model Land, um, even though Tuki is the one who finds the smize in their house, but her parents make her give it to Miracle, and she's like, fine, whatever, like, you know, she knows that she's never going to go to Model Land anyway because her forehead's too big and all that shit, so she gives it over, and uh, meanwhile is making plans to run away from home with her mentally unstable friend Lizzie, who for a while I thought maybe was imaginary, but I think she's real. She's this girl who lives on the street and she like literally lives in a tree house that she's created and like digs through the trash and does seem to have really serious mental problems and self injures herself and disappears for periods of time and is institutionalized and then reappears when she escapes. And it seems like constantly throughout the book that there's going to be some reference to this there's going to be some reason why this is happening but no just no right although so this if you read the back of it it's it describes itself as like the first of the model and trilogy and yeah. no the other two books have not materialized or even been talked about at all um as we mentioned earlier it did take her five years to write this one so it could still be coming but i think that probably although this was it was a bestseller like it did make the list um, I we learned from America's Next Top Model. We learned, yes. I don't <laughs> think that it had quite the the 
caught on quite the way Tyra hoped it would, so I personally think it's probably all abandoned. But I hope not, because it does leave a ton of shit unresolved, including, like, what's the deal with Lizzie? You say that, like, further installments would resolve that shit. And I think that that is just wildly optimistic. <laughs> well, I have, I am rooting for Tyra. I believe in her. Yeah. <laughs> Please. I me. believed in her. And then I read this book and it was, and then I had my moment where I was like, we were all rooting for you. <laughs> I still am. Um, well, I'm glad someone in this podcast is. <laughs> So I, I guess it's important to to mention that um so we had said earlier that there the seven seven is or the the triple seven is the person who has all seven powers and is one of the intoxabellas and the last triple seven was an intoxabella named C L and that is C I Tilde capital L. Um, and she was a triple seven and the best model ever and was like on, literally on the money of model the model land world and was the most revered of anyone. Yeah. One she was season. also like a, a slam poet and all this other stuff. And, and one right- season at Fashion Week, she modeled literally every single show that there was. She and was she the, was the only, only, model only model in any shows. Yeah. <laughs> So she modeled every look at every single show, one fashion week. Because she has those powers to multiply herself and magically change her clothes very quickly. So, you know, that was helpful for that. Um, But shortly before the start of the book, she has disappeared. And there are people who are very concerned that she hasn't been seen in public in a long time. And they're worried that something has happened to her. Yes. So the day of discovery comes and Tuki goes with her sister and with her very overbearing mother who's called Creamy, Creamy de la Creme. And they're just kind of waiting for Miracle to get chosen by one of the scouts because obviously she will because she's so beautiful and she has the smize. But instead, shock, Tuki gets chosen to go to Magic Hogwarts and leaves Miracle behind and Tuki Scout goes off to other days of discovery around the world, and she picks up three other girls who are all sort of unconventionally beautiful um, in different ways. So Tuki is, you know, looks like Tyra. She's like too skinny and too gangly and like has a fro. And then um, there's Dylan, who's like the plus size one. And there's Shiraz, who is Shiraz the very short one? Yeah. Yes. And then Piper is the one who has albinism, which is, okay. Now, she's from a place where they everyone is. Like, there's yeah. a, a whole country of albino people in this world. And we're going to be revisiting that once we're done with this interminable summary. <laughs> so they all, they all go off to model and they get their, like, sorting hat song from um, Belladonna, who's the Dumbledore slash Voldemort of the school. And they, so much happens. They have to go to thigh-high boot camp. They do all this, like, whimsical shit that's, like, all, like, in, like, puns that are impossible to even decipher. Um, Like, they they go to a spa that's called the Ooh-Ah, and they... They're, they're, like, 
their like face modeling class is called Cara Cara Cara. Mm-hmm. Face 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 in Italian. Oh my god. So and, mad even thinking about it. Um, they have like a weird food class where they what even they happens? learn like <laughs> how to eat a good amount so they eat enough so that they're satisfied but not overeating and eating healthily and like depending like because Tuki can eat and eat and eat and is always hungry but never gains any weight like I don't know she has to learn how to do something and then of course there are the girls who refuse to eat food because they don't want to gain weight and that's bad too and then the fat model eats her feelings and that's bad as well and yeah, it's it's very. There are a lot of very strange class. They have a class that's on a boat where that, they have that's Kara Kara Kara. <laughs> they have it? to keep their faces yeah. cool despite of being in spite of being seasick. We're basically <laughs> they have, it's they're seasick, so the boat's moving the entire time. And then there's like magic that projects horrifying images of like babies getting their eyes pecked out by eagles. Yes. And like if a baby is getting its eye pecked out by an eagle, then like you have to smile and look happy. And if, like, like a giant yellow feather is tickling you, then you have to, like, look serious. You have to do the opposite of whatever is happening on the screen. Yes. But I, I want to go and, back real quick. I'm, the food class. So how they learn to, like, have a good relationship with food is they're in, like, harnesses and their favorite food is in front of them. And if they lean forward, the harness will let them just get, like, almost close enough to eat it but not. And so they're just, like, struggling to eat the food. And then eventually... Also, there's something, like, it looks like garbage, but it tastes like their favorite food. There's all this, like, we- it's not just, it's the weirdest thing. This whole book is the weirdest thing. Yes, correct. <laughs> so all these A lot pop- of what we're doing, what Tyra was probably intending to communicate, and, like, projecting <laughs> that meaning on a series of incomprehensible <laughs> paragraphs right like i feel like having seen so many episodes of america's next top model really helped me understand this because i can like (laughs) i have a pretty good idea of like what her inspirational monologues sound like and i was just like okay yeah this is this is like this one is like what she's going for this is the one where she's trying to tell me that there's all types of beauty this is the one where she's trying to tell me that it's like okay to eat a hamburger once in a while this is the one where she's trying to tell me that modeling is a serious profession and like you have to show up on time for things like, yeah. But it's yeah, all through, yeah, like, elaborately weird metaphors. Yes. They For no reason. By, yeah, just, just like, they'll be like, oh, we have to be there at half past chartreuse. Yes. Uh, are we- and they have to go to a special class to learn how to tell time. <laughs> rather than just have a normal clock. Can we just, like, can we just, like, fall into, like, all of the weird and unnecessary shit that she invents? Yes. For this book? Yes. <laughs> because there's so much, and it's all so bad. And here's the thing. When you are world building, right, and you're taking elaborate flights of fancy, one of the things that it's really important to be able to do is describe the things that you're inventing in a way that's clear. It allows your reader to sort of imagine the thing in their head even though it's nothing that they've encountered in real life. Like flu powder in Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. The equivalent to flu powder here is called a zip zap. 
And <laughs> it's like zippers appear in the air in front of you and you like zip them down and like you climb into them and then you zip down to another place and then you zip yourself out of them. And like, I think roughly, roughly, I think that's how it works. But the word salad that's actually on the page leaves it open wildly to interpretation. Because as you said that, that's not like what my mental picture <laughs> See? <laughs> I pictured it because she has to like climb up the zip zaps. So I was picturing it as like a rock climbing wall, but made of zippers. <laughs> the thing is, is both our readings are equally valid. And, and then I'm... also sometimes the zip zaps kill you. Yeah, just yeah, like I was sometimes picturing it an entirely different way See? because they talk about like climb because because they talk about climbing into them, I was imagining that they were, I guess, kind of like I don't even know like like tunnels, but the entrances are lined with zippers. I don't know. <laughs> oh my god! Okay, so who knows? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so basically, so, like, um, that's basically the subtitle of the book. It's like Model Land colon Who Knows by Tyra Banks. <laughs> so it turns out when they get to Model Land, so we're back to we're back to so she picks up that's um so Tuki and all these other unconventionally pretty girls, and it turns out that the scout is C L, the mysterious missing triple seven in Toxabella. Dun, and dun, in disguise, because that's one and of her that's powers. that's our second Tyra Banks stand-in. <laughs> yes. Like, I think we all agree that if Tyra Banks, if there were a movie of this, which Tyra Banks certainly there would be, Tyra Banks would be playing CL. Correct. Yes. Yes. So, but when they get there, so they have all these, like, unintentionally pretty girls, and all of the other girls, like everyone at Model Inn is shocked that they let these non-traditionally pretty girls in. So immediately they all have to become friends and immediately they start getting bullied by some of the other girls at school, including a girl who had come from Tuki's hometown who used to be like the richest, prettiest, most popular girl ever who would brag all the time that she knew everything, you know, like, oh, well, my waxers, grandmothers, sisters, oncologist told me that like literally that is how literally she talks. It yes. is, like, she introduces long... some of the exposition about model land and its weirdness. Yes. yes. And she, um, she says she knows all about it because, yeah, because of that. But what Tuki knows is that she's actually homeless. Her family invested in something um, and they totally lost all their money and now they're homeless and she had to eat out of dumpsters and like steal clothes from the, the dump where people discard the clothes that they don't want to wear anymore. Right, because and this is the only lot. reason, this is the only way that Lizzie actually affected the plot in a meaningful way, is like Lizzie, her homeless friend who self-harms a lot, mm, a lot. apparently saw, uh, what Zapper, Zapreza. Yes. Zapreza. Sure, of course. That completely <laughs> normal name that anyone would be able to remember. <laughs> I don't know how you could forget. It's not uh, like she's Zapresa. a forget-a-girl. <laughs> She saw Zapressa at the dumpster and they like fought over a gold dress. 
Yes. That Zapressa wore on the day of discovery when she was discovered. Zapressa <laughs> also is the actual girlfriend of the boy that Tuki has a crush on. Yes. Who we never hear about again after she's chosen. Yeah, because who gives a shit? Because <laughs> there's 7,000 other characters to keep track of. We have to discard one of them, and it's Theophilus. <laughs> That's the only one. Um, so, meanwhile, Tuki's mom and sister are... Because Madeline is on the top of a mountain, and there's all these, like, amazingly hilarious um, obstacles protecting it. Because every year, pilgrims try to... Um, come sneak into model end even though like they'll be put to death if they make it there but they're trying as you do they they get like some it's implied they get like some sort of compulsion disease that makes them have to try to get there even though they shouldn't and they know it'll kill them and no one has ever it's it's very much shades of everest like if you try to climb up here you will die and your body will litter the the trail so that other people will see it as a warning (laughs) so meanwhile there's kind of a mystery going on at the school um cl is apparently being punished and punishing herself and we don't super know why but what tuki and her um unconventionally beautiful friends think is that they're all going to be sacrificed or experimented on or both because yeah i think you're underselling like like she's not just punch she's like slapping herself over the back with a plank of wood (laughs) like the albino from the da vinci code yeah Just, yeah. it's important to establish that. Yeah, well, so she's doing that to herself, but then it's also clear that she's being punished by the Belladonna. Like, she has to retake some of the, like, first-year classes with them, and she's kind of, like, picked on by the teachers, even though she's supposedly, you know, already the best model in the world, but they're, like, saying that she's not up to the task of these, to these first-year-level tasks. The implication is that the reason that she's being punished is because she's preaching this, like, diversity and unconventional beauty is still beauty. And we learn this because Tuki has a sleepwalking problem. And at one point, she she sleepwalks um, into an area and she sees CL beating herself over the back with a plank and, like, crying and... Um, thinking that she deserves to be punished and she thinks it's weird and like maybe she dreamed it because she doesn't want to believe it's true and then another time she sleepwalks into what is basically the administrative building that the Bellas the students aren't supposed to be in and she overhears part of a conversation between the Belladonna and CL where CL is being yelled at and punished by the belladonna and the belladonna is saying you know you've you have to stop this like you've already hurt so many people there are already bodies on your conscience like you know i don't know what you're trying to do with these girls going against the rules and bringing them in even though they weren't on the list so at this point we learn that what happens at T-Dod, all the strutting around and stuff, is not how they actually pick the Bellas, but that there's a predetermined admissions list. 
and uh, CL fires back that she, the Belladonna has to keep CL secret because A, it can't get out that there's an admissions list, and B, she's keeping the Belladonna's secret, which was that Tuki de la Creme was not supposed to attend Model Land, but that the Belladonna altered the list to allow her to come. And at that point, Tuki runs away and clearly decides that there's no other explanation except that CL took her and her friends to experiment on and murder, and they need to escape immediately. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I mean, life's hard in these fashion-based dystopias. (laughs) Which... uh, Oh god, there's so much to talk about. This episode is going to be seven hours long. But yeah, real quick, because we haven't even scratched the surface of this book's unbearableness. <laughs> real quick, um, so where Tuki's from? If you aren't a famous model, then you have to work in um, like a sweatshop factory, basically, and those are basically your only options. And it almost is like a sort of like satire or expose of the fashion industry or something, but like not quite like it never quite reaches social commentary if you ask me um which you are asking by listening to this podcast (laughs) implicitly um except for like the only like real theme that she seems to have is that like unconventional beauty is beautiful but all this other stuff is kind of like yeah i'm not gonna commit to this Right, it's a very toothless critique of the fashion industry. Very toothless and unfocused. By someone who, like, thinks it's equally important. Like, one, that you know things are made in sweatshops or that, like, that, like, fame is a poisonous culture and, like, whatnot. But also really thinks it's important that her belladonnas, her, her bellas be taught through violent imagery and, like, being strangled by chokers. Like, that they should not buy fake designer goods because that is robbing the artisan crafts people who make that stuff. Yes. <laughs> Which is, by the way, a real scene in the book. There's also a scene where the their faces seem like they're rotting off because they've, oh, my God, shared eye makeup with one another. Yes. Which you cannot do. That is full of bacteria, you guys. So Tyra's just like, she sort of knows modeling is fucked up. But she can't fully acknowledge that modeling in fashion is fucked up. And she's so indoctrinated with the values of modeling in fashion that she's ultimately more invested in just being like, be the best model you can be. Don't buy designer knockoffs. Don't share makeup. And unconventional beauty is still beautiful as long as you're not ugly. Right. Yeah, it's there are parts of it where it like seems like it's veering towards satire, but it, it's not. It's not satire. Like no. I. I am pretty sure that this is just legitimately her trying to write a dystopian, like, futuristic, weird novel and not a satirical send-off of the fashion industry and dystopian young adult novels. Like, this is 100% serious. Well, and it's kind of like, I mean, if you look at, like, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory... It's not exactly a satire. Like, you know, Roald Dahl is not really trying to, like, highlight the plight of the workers in the factory either. But that's so much more successful, I mean, for a number of reasons. Yeah. 
a number of reasons. But one of which I think is, you know, that he knew when to stop. And I think if Charlie and the Chocolate Factory were 500 pages long, I don't, it would not be a beloved classic. It would be like, oh my God, like, shut the fuck up at the Snozberries already. We get it. But we right. don't really get it. And also, <laughs> to emphasize, when he makes things up, he has a capacity to describe them so that you actually see them and you grasp this made up thing like an Oompa Loompa. It's not just like, when you read a description of an Oompa Loompa, we could walk out and he'd be like, yeah, Oompa Loompas. They're like, I've never read Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I've only seen the movie and I know they're different in the movie. <laughs> well, also Whatever. the books have illustrations, which this book could have benefited yeah, from. Yeah, that could but- have helped. But mostly Tyra being a little bit more in love with describing things clearly and just like a little less in love with the built-in thesaurus in Microsoft <laughs> Word. Right. <laughs> could have been great for this book. Um, really a game changer. Yes. We wouldn't have three different equally valid reads of what a goddamn zip zap is. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why I'm disappointed that I don't think the model and movie is ever going to materialize because I kind of want to see. I want to see idiots try and interpret <laughs> any of the nonsense descriptions that she provides of anything, of oh. a garment of clothing, which you'd think she could describe. She can't. I have no idea what anybody's wearing ever. Well, you are in luck because there is an episode of America's Next Top Model <laughs> where they do try to bring some of these scenes to life. Um, I will I'll link to this on our episode page because it is well worth. I spent two dollars to buy it because it, although some seasons of Next Top Model are streaming on Amazon Prime, this one's not. But I bought this specific episode and shared it with you two, as you know. But it was, I mean. It was worth I, it. I don't yes. know what I read the I had read the book twice and I still watched these scenes. I was like, what is happening? Like, what is this? <laughs> and I have to say, it did make me feel almost bad for Ty- and I know you shouldn't feel bad for Tyra Banks because she has a gazillion million dollars and like probably servants and and you know, people to bring her whipped cream on a little tray whenever she wants it. But <laughs> like, she was, she's clearly so invested in this and so into it, and acts like it was such a labor of love and means so much to her. And it's just garbage, garbage, it's garbage. Um, the great thing in this episode of America's Sex Top Model, the culminating challenge is they phone a motion editorial. Of uh, Model Land, which yes. is basically just like, like she doesn't want to make them act because they can't. Um, she's basically like making gifs. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. that is exactly what she's doing. But, like very self-satisfied gifs. <clears throat> <laughs> High five, Margaret. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, but... It ends with all of the models looking into the camera and tearfully saying, I'm Tookie. Like, each of them in turn, they'll be like, I'm Lisa, and I'm Tookie. Right? Because, like, that's how strongly we're supposed to identify with Tookie de la Creme. (laughs) She's, like, an every woman we can all root for who is exactly like Tyra. But that's just it. It's like Tyra modeled Tookie after herself because Tyra was the most inspirational story Tyra knew. Like, <laughs> yes. like of course Tyra's an every woman. Yes. Of course we all want to be like Tyra Banks. I want to be on top. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. 
so I think too we should mention that um so in this you know getting back to the plot they all decide they need to escape so they're not sacrifices but the problem that this brings for Tuki is that she has a budding romance not with Theophilus the school president back in her old school Who's but with gone never to be seen again a male model who's also in model land um, male models do exist but they are basically just there for eye candy manual labor and to assist in photo shoots where you would need a dude and they are called bestosteros yeah yeah naturally and they attend <sighs> bestosterone the academy for male models Yes, and also are used to build the new buildings needed for model land. And uh, this one Bestostero, Bravo, he doesn't care about modeling. He just tragically has been saddled with a perfect face and body. And it's just, it's really hard to be so beautiful when what you really care about is architecture and right. no one cares about your love of architecture, just about how hot you are. It's and, really And rough. like, the way Kate is saying this is it seems like playful, like, oh, that's not really in the text. We're just mocking it. It's like, no, he actually has like a tragic monologue, the point of which is, I'm so beautiful that it distracted everyone from everything else about me. And isn't that the saddest thing you've ever heard? It reminds like, me, it's a lot like John Hamm's character in 30 Rock, <laughs> um, but less funny. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> But that kind like, of vibe. Literally tells her a tearful story about a poor little boy who cared about building more than anything, but tragically was unallowed to pursue his dreams because his he was beauty distracted everyone when they met him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's and a scene where, like, he's inspired his face at age eight inspires someone else to write a symphony. And, like, mm -hmm. he's brought on stage to stand while the symphony is performed. But he doesn't mind because he's just looking at how beautiful the symphony hall is. Real story. Real yeah. thing. Oh. A real human really wrote and then sold <laughs> to be published. Yep. Okay. So they have a weird scene where she, like, she's never been kissed before. And he is, like, wiping something off her face. And she sucks his thumb and it's, like, r perceived as real sexy. And Tyra liked this scene so much that that was one that she chose to reenact on the show with Tyson Beckford. Like, she just wanted to suck Tyson Beckford's thumb, I guess. Yeah. It's okay. It's a real long game. Well, yeah. the thing is, too, is that it's, like, supposedly sexy, but at the same time, I think the text explicitly says that she's, like, confused, and it's, like, innocent, and she's embarrassed, right. and it's not meant to be overly sexual. Right. But then it later becomes, like, her first kiss, because she's never been kissed, becomes a very obvious metaphor for sex. Yeah, because they talk, and this is one thing that I liked about it is they talk a lot about consent for kissing and how, like, she wants her first time to be special and he starts kissing her with tongue on her first time and she says, no, I don't like it like that. And he says, well, how do you know if you've never been kissed? And she says, I just know. And he says, okay, you're right, we won't do that. And, like, I like that. But that, <laughs> that was, was, like, one, one paragraph of 500 yeah. pages. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, and it, like, it just becomes their thing. Like, every time he sees her, like, he makes a little joke about her sucking his thumb. And I think, like, at least one other time she sucks his thumb again. It, it is, it's, it's weird. It's so um, weird and weird. bad. Yeah, but so so he knows because he's a an architect on the Model Land campus. He knows where a special secret zip zap is, um, and tells her about it when they're talking about you know her first kiss that they're gonna share together, and she uses it to when everyone's distracted during a physical modeling challenge. This this isn't it the seven seven tournament. It's the man attack. No, well, <laughs> I thought it was after that. Anyway, whatever. Well, it's so the, it's yeah, so some dumbass thing they have to do at Model yeah. Land. So they sneak out and escape, and they're on the run. They use the secret zip zap to leave Model Land, and they're on the run. And CeeLo comes, CL comes after and them. And CeeLo Green is there also. <laughs> and he's like, hey, instead of this one, you guys come be on The Voice. And it's a totally different book. <laughs> Um, CL comes after them and Lizzie randomly comes back and helps like after hundreds of pages of like nothing about Lizzie by the way nothing about Lizzie yeah hundreds and hundreds of pages (laughs) hundreds and hundreds (laughs) (laughs) so many pages she comes back to help distract CL but then CL finds them and convinces them that she wasn't going to experiment on them and that the bodies that were her fault were not like killed Bellas that were experimented on, but her three unconventionally beautiful best friends who got, who once CL became the triple seven in Toxabella, they were inspired that even though they were unconventionally beautiful, they could be models too and tried to climb up the mountain and died. And so she feels really bad about this. (laughs) Real bad. And one of each of the other Unicas reminded her of one of her dead best friends, which is why she chose them. I guess she had a fat friend, a short friend, and an albino friend. Yeah, yeah. And As we all do. <laughs> that's sure. Susan My Girl Gang. <laughs> so that's why she hurts herself, and that's why she chose these girls. And that's what she meant by them being her experiment because she wants them to understand that even unconventionally beautiful girls are still beautiful and can still be models. And so she brings them back to modeling. And now they all have this understanding that no one's going to be experimented on or sacrificed. They go back to model land. Right. But also, (laughs) um, so the reason that Tuki is there is separately she wasn't she doesn't CL didn't have like a Tyra Banks looking friend but why she's there is because the Belladonna was the Belladonna and CL and Creamy De La Creme and oh and this other character we have not mentioned at all this who is like um it was like the Snape of Hogwarts basically <laughs> those four were all bro lady bros in school not CL not CL just um oh you're right you're right you're right yeah, this the Just Snape, Belladonna, Creamy, and Snape. Yes. We're all friends. <laughs> Model Snape. <laughs> and 
so they were all friends, and they had this falling out that I'm not even going to go into, but because... Wait. Okay, <laughs> Why? So, so um, the Belladonna, when they were students... <laughs> snuck out to see her boyfriend and that's illegal and not allowed and because at model Inn they don't get their periods by magic she hadn't realized that she was pregnant because her body didn't change very much and she had a baby in the bathroom and model snape was there to see it happen and because she kept it a secret or something, she gets expelled. She gets the choice that she either is expelled forever or she has to become what is literally called a manicant, mm-hmm. which is the servants of model land. And in punishment, the Belladonna has to relinquish, like she has to choose between either being ugly and being with the father of her baby and her baby or staying and becoming an intoxibella and eventually because it's a hierarchical thing or a um made uh royalty royalty thing um becoming the next belladonna and creamy uh tuki's mother convinces her that the man that she loved was cheating on her and was going to cheat on her with Creamy. So she chooses to stay, but then it turns out that she finds out Creamy was lying. And Creamy's punishment, we haven't mentioned this yet, but is that she, when you leave Model Land um, without using a zip zap, your face ages and you look like 60 years old. And the Belladonna... The worst thing it could possibly happen to a worst. Yes. Wrinkles. Uh, so... So the Belladonna gets that reversed on herself, but Creamy's punishment is that it's not reversed on her. So she looks super old. And that's the thing that, like, constantly throughout the book, they talk about how Creamy's so wrinkled and so old. And and always reapplying makeup, blah, blah, blah. In in fact, there's a scene where she's reapplying makeup while Tookie's dad, um, crisscross cream cobat. (laughs) He's <laughs> like an acrobat is just about to do like a special trick and like her mirror flashes in his eyes so he falls seven stories and he's fine after that but then he stands up to bow and in bowing he incautiously impales his eyeball on a sword on like a decorative sword yes <laughs> like you do, you do. okay like but, you do. but so I remembered that part but then I couldn't remember how sending Tookie there is revenge or like so- See, I think it, they never really explain why. So the other thing about this is we find out that the baby is CL. Right. CL yes, is the yes, Belladonna's yes. daughter. Um, dun, dun, dun. And I think the implication is that Miracle was supposed to attend, but that the Belladonna changed it so that they took Tuki instead. I, I guess that's because it's clear that Creamy really wanted Miracle to go and choose the favorite. So I guess that's the revenge. But it's also never really explained, so I'm not sure if that's the revenge or if it's one of those things that was left dangling to be addressed in the series that never materialized. But anyway, that's why. Okay. Um, I guess, I mean, there is so much that we've left unaddressed, but I think we should probably move on to our dramatic readings. Yeah, I will say the, the one last thing is because all of these crimes become apparent, um, the Belladonna is 
knocked down from her role as the Belladonna and imprisoned. Mm. But because it's like a royalty sort of thing, the next person in the bloodline when is CL. Um, now they found out that she's the Belladonna's daughter. So at the end of the book, she becomes the new Belladonna. Right. <laughs> as you do. Yes. Of course. And and she gives Tuki a, a like a little chin up speech like come back to school and like you know we really need people with your unique beauty blah blah blah. Um, okay, so that's basically all of the book, I guess. I mean, it's <laughs> that's not even close to all of the book, but like that's enough of the that's book. That's enough. Yes. yes. <laughs> like we've read the rest of it, so you don't have to. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> Literally our tagline. Yep. Don't do it. Don't do it. Okay. So for the readings. Um, one other thing that we forgot to mention is that there's an omniscient italics not narrator who I think is also Tyra. Like, she, she yeah. kind of talks like... Third Tyra. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh my god, maybe it's like a, like a Grace's situation, but with Tyra. They're like, <laughs> it's like a triple goddess, but they're all yeah. Tyra Banks. <laughs> <laughs> and none of them are crones. They're want- all radiantly yeah. beautiful. I want to go back to grad school and write my thesis about this book. (laughs) (laughs) But instead, I'll just do this podcast. (laughs) So I'm going to read you the very first um, Italics Tyra intro. And it kind of sets up the world and also just how bonkers the language of this book is. And I hope you like it. You want to be there. You know you do. Don't lie, darling. It's okay. I know what you're thinking when you look up at that splendorous place atop the mountain. I know what fills you, spurs you on, fuels your dreams. You're obsessed with being chosen. Everyone is. The land you thirst for has loomed at the top of the mountain in Metopia for as long as you can remember. But for most of the year, it's covered in fog, its color changing with each passing day as if it's a gargantuan mood ring. You begin your morning staring at the fog, longing for the fateful evening when it will turn a golden yellow, and then finally, like a push-up brazier, lift. <laughs> oh, how you long for that moment, with bated fresh breath, I hope. For it signifies that the luminescent eye will soon blaze in the sky, bathing the whole world in gold, touching every one of its inhabitants, including you. But darling, it is no ordinary golden light. Once it tickles you, you are suddenly transported. You hear the softest of sighs or faintest of giggles in your ear, even if you're standing alone. The once stale air around you becomes both sweet and tart, making your nose tingle and sending a charge of excitement through your brain. The finest silk, the softest velveteen, or the supplest suede will brush your skin, but whatever you thought was touching you is nowhere to be seen. Basking in the light is such a naughty tease, like getting a single lick of the most delicious butter pecan gelato you've ever tasted. It inflames your obsession, increasing your desire a hundredfold. You lust to go to this land to become one of the only famous people in the world. You ache to be a 7-7, but very few ever get the chance. Nevertheless, you and every young girl in the world vie for an opportunity on the Day of Discovery, which is grander than every global holiday combined. Making the delirium even more intense, the land sends seven talismans called Smizes into the world. 
What an arcane world. Who thought of such a thing? Uh, what an arcane word. Who thought of such a thing? <laughs> These smizes, which boost your odds of being chosen by 91%, are propelled through the world's waterways. Naturally, the week before the day of discovery, bathing, showering, pool use, and even sewer diving increase, threatening a drought. Chance meetings erupted to fisticuffs on occasion. Every girl wants to find a smize, darling, but not nearly as much as you do. You ignore the slim odds and disregard the warnings you've heard since birth, like how it's easier to grow three inches in a month than it is to score a spot in the newest class. You turn a deaf ear to the cautionary tales whispered in your hometown and throughout Metopia, in dingy alleys and side streets of pitter-patter, during shift changes in Shavera, and on assembly lines of Peppertown factories, like the rumor that the school often takes inhumane and irreversible disciplinary action, or that certain disposable civilian girls are brought to the land to be tortured and then killed, used as human sacrifices for ungodly experiments and animalistic rituals. It's obvious why they torture them, the gossip mongers whisper. Those in the land bathe in civilian blood to maintain their breathtaking beauty. Goodness, great shoes! A literal bloodbath, darling? That crimson elixir must leave a nasty ring around the tub. And then there's the reality of the pilgrim plague, a form of sadness meets madness that compels unselected hopefuls to embark dadless. Question mark. Why are they dadless? <laughs> I don't, I don't know. What is it I, at first I thought maybe I was misreading, but no. no. To embark dadless on an unauthorized pilgrimage to the land. It's, it's a sickness that comes with a quickness and afflicts the most determined and desperate, and the trek through the dangerous, diabolical divide always ends in dismembering death. Ouch. As the day of discovery dawns, however, you and every young girl around the world tune out the horrifying negatives and concentrate on the glitzy, gaudy, dream-come-true positive. You dredge up every ounce of self-confidence from deep within. This is my year, you say to yourself, and so does every other girl. They'll choose me for sure. Every girl feels the same way, except one, Tuki de la Creme. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. I feel, like, a, I feel like that's a really, it's like a really telling, it, it gives you a lot of information about how bad this book is. <laughs> yes. Right there. Just condense. That is essentially all the world building that you have to work with, but times 500 pages. Yep. <sighs> By the way, you've been consistently rounding down. This thing is 550 pages. 550 pages. Okay. I have Plus the ebook. 10-page acknowledgement center. <laughs> section in tiny, tiny type. <laughs> From which I will be reading third. But first... But first, um, I'm going to start reading a little bit about when Tuki and Bravo meet for the second time when the first instance of thumb sucking happens. I will be reading the narrator and Tuki, Margaret will be reading Bravo, and Renata will be reading Shiraz. Who is the short friend, FYI. Yes, the short friend. Whose last name is also Shiraz. Her name yep. is Shiraz yep. Shiraz. Just so you know. And she sings everything and dances. Oh, yeah, I guess I should sing my line. 
I'll work on that. Anyway. <laughs> Just minutes later, Tukey, Dylan, Shiraz, and Piper walked toward the E. They neared the new stadium, now almost completed. A group of sweaty bestosteros were picking up construction debris. Hey, what's up? It's Tukey, right? <laughs> it was Bravo. For a moment, Tukey just blinked. He's not talking to me, but he did just say my name. He was coming toward them, carrying a thick tree limb over his shoulder like it was a toothpick. The other girl's mouths dropped open. Uh, hi. And bye, Tukey said, remembering how Bravo had oh so rudely pointed out the snot hanging from her nose after her first mastication class. She hadn't seen him much since, and she certainly hadn't been looking for him. Good luck with your manly man stuff, she added flippantly. And don't forget to pout your perfect perfect lips and contract your rippling muscles for the cameras. Dylan shot Tukey an are-you-crazy look and nudged her in the ribs. I'm more than just a model or manly man. He laughed uncomfortably, shaking loose bark and dust from the tree limb. Some landed in Tukey's hair and on her face. Great, Tukey thought. Now he's covering me in splinters. Is it this boy's mission in life to torment me? Oops, sorry. Bravo stepped closer to Tukey. The Belladonna wanted us to clear away some of these dead trees for a better view of the new stadium. Didn't mean to get you there. Tukey noticed his irises were a familiar salted caramel color. Try not to swoon, she told herself. You're not into pretty boys, remember? Especially ones who are training to become male models. Then Bravo lightly patted Tukey's hair clean of dust and gingerly plucked a piece of a small shard of wood stuck to her bottom lip. His thumb touched both of her lips, then entered her mouth just a bit. He removed the last traces of chipped wood, but his thumb lingered between her lips and made slight contact with her tongue. Tukey wanted to bite down hard on his hand to teach him a lesson to not touch her like that, but instead she closed her lips on his thumb, locking it inside her mouth, her body betraying her. She smelled him, a mixture of tree bark, sweat, and blood orange, and felt the heat of his sweating body sail toward her. Her knees wobbled, her heart started to flutter, and she felt a warmth gush through her core. One corner of Bravo's mouth curled into a crooked smile. Um, do I taste good? Tuki realized what she was doing and released his thumb. She didn't even know this guy. What had gotten into her? She glanced at her friends. To her horror, they were trying to contain their laughter. They all had their thumbs in their mouths, playfully mocking her. Tookie turned back to Bravo. Hi, she said awkwardly, as if she hadn't been speaking with him for the last few minutes. Hi, he said back, breaking into the lopsided smile again. The hairs on the back of Tookie's thighs stood up. Um, we have to run, she said, but her feet were planted in place. And then, suddenly, three figures tumbled out from behind the stadium. Bravo's bestostero friends, Webb, Alexander, and a guy named O'Neill. Well, looky here. Webb shouted in a nasty, oily voice. Alexander made slurping, kissing noises. O'Neill thrust his lips forward lewdly like a humping dog. 
The three of them laughed, their handsome faces twisted and callous. Chuki stepped away. She could feel their mocking, disparaging stares all over her. See you, uh, not later, bravo, she muttered. Tookie, wait. Tookie didn't turn around. Come on, she said to her friends. Let's get out of here. Pretty boy, kooky over Tookie, and want her nuki. Shiraz said sexily to Tookie as they <laughs> jogged away. <laughs> yeah. God, this book is really, really something special. I can see um. why it's a bestseller. well so that that is that is something that happens in this book (laughs) (laughs) correct uh and now i'm going to read from the part of the book that uh the only part of the book i can recommend without reservation you also (laughs) read which is the acknowledgments are a work of sheer genius uh and here we go My other life, being chairwoman and CEO of the Tyra Banks Company, did not stop, and the pressure I was under was intense. At times, I had to get away so I could focus on model land. I went on a few kind of swanky retreats, camping out at hotels and doing nothing but writing. Terrania Resort, you helped produce a marvelous outline for model land. I might not have followed it exactly, but it was an amazing framework. St. Regis Monarch Beach... Thanks for all the love and golf cart trips to the restaurant right on the sand. And Montage Laguna Beach, thanks for not complaining when I asked for an extension cord for my battery-drained laptop and you snaked one from about half a mile away to my balcony table overlooking the shore. Speaking of the shore, much love to the Pacific Ocean. Your crashing waves crashed through my bouts of writer's block. Lake Como... Thank you for providing me with a beautiful landscape in which to create the inspiring creation of Abigail Good. As I gazed over your water, she popped into my mind. Hair? Water? Not sure what the connection is, but thanks anyways. It didn't hurt that George Clooney lived a few doors down. Morocco. The weeks I spent with you produced such superb material. Thank you to the Amigenia Resort for your candlelight and to Abdul for the verbena tea you just kept pouring at three in the morning while I was on a writing roll with insane jet lag. Morocco, thank you for your architectural inspiration for the atrium in the beds. Thank you to the wonderful people of the Berber village I visited. It was a real treat for me to read a section of model land for half an hour to children who didn't speak English. I thought that if I could hold their attention for that long, maybe my book had a chance at success. Shukran, which I guess is probably like Moroccan for thank you. I'm sure. But yeah, the most important thing there was that she read this book aloud to people who didn't speak English and she thought that was a mark of its success. Also important in here, she thanks Stephen King um, for on writing, even though... uh, I may have failed when it comes to your advice that one should not use too many adverbs and adjectives, but model land is so splendiferously, kaleidoscopically, out of this world colorful. I couldn't help myself. Please forgive me. I don't forgive you, Tyra, and neither does Stephen King. I also, like, you didn't read the part where she said that she hoped by thanking him that people would assume they were were friends. (laughs) I didn't read that part. Um, also important to learn from the acknowledgments is the fact that this manuscript, when originally turned in to her editor, was 1,000 pages long. 
Can you imagine? Oh I my mean, god. I mean, having read the 550 pages, like, yes, probably I can imagine. And, like, God bless her editor for saving us from the rest of it. If only she could have saved us from more. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. As oh. I said on Twitter, and we'll say again, Tyra Banks is a dangerous megalomaniac and she must be stopped. Preferably. <laughs> Like, if you're listening to this and you have access to a time machine and you can go back in time <laughs> and stop her from writing this book, do it. It will be, like, as great a service as going back in time and killing Hitler with probably fewer, you know, global repercussive effects. I was just going to say, though, I mean, you don't know about the butterfly effect. What if Modeland doesn't exist and then, like, the Hunger Games never happened? Like, I think the Hunger Games was published before Modeland. Was it? Yeah, I'm pretty, Modeland yeah, definitely. was published in 2011, as impossible as that seems. Okay. Yeah. Well, The, the Hunger Games definitely came out when I was working at the bookstore because I own all of those in arc format and this was one of the last arcs that I got working there so I have an arc of this also because when I was in grad school I volunteered at the the bulletin for the center for children's books which is a review journal and so if you volunteered there a perk was kind of that you got to snag arcs but you were supposed to wait till six months after um, the release date and so I saw that they had model and I was like, hey, I know, like, I can't take this yet, but I just kind of want to dibs it. And they were all like, nobody else wants that. Just take it right now. And I was like, I, what? Why does no one else want this? <laughs> and then I read it and I was like, I kind of get it, but <laughs> I'm still going to have it. <laughs> we didn't even get into my theory about why Tyra Banks is a white supremacist. Oh, my God. <laughs> Which is the albino nation is the smartest nation in the entire world, and they're all incredibly good at math. Yes. Well, that, there's also the fact that before this, we were trying to, because she describes Tookie in a lot of detail, except not her skin color, and we realized that we all just sort of envisioned her as looking like Tyra Banks, with, you know, sort of like lighter black skin, but then we pieced it together and realized that uh, her whole family is white. Except, uh, I would say. Well, maybe white. Well, her mom has tan skin. Right, unquote. but her sister, like, Chucky looks just like her dad, and her dad has white skin. Oh, does it say that she looks like her dad? Yeah, because okay. it says, remember, she's the spitting image of her dad, and that's why she can't believe it that he would deny his paternity, which is another subplot we did not get into. Yeah, we didn't get into that at all. She's, like, haunted by toothbrushes for the entirety of this book. <laughs> because her father is convinced that he's not really her father, and he's going to prove it by using her toothbrush to get DNA testing, and when it's proven that she's not really his kid he's going to kick her out, which she would then become a factory orphan. And those are children that people don't want who are forced to work in the accessory sweatshop factories. Yes. Right. But also in a flashback when he was like, like loved her because she was two. He's like joking around with a two year old about how he's going to brush her teeth. And he has like a toothbrush there because she just wanted you to, you know, tie it in. It was like the toothbrush of abandonment. And, like, also the toothbrush of parental affection. Yeah, like, she the, literally two cries. toothbrushes are one of the same. In the mornings when she brushes her teeth. She like, does. she's overwhelmed with lying. despair. We're not <laughs> lying. Guys, it's symbolism. You just don't get it. You're just not on Tyra's level. 
Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, we could talk about this for hours. We could. And already have, in fact. Well, for a singular <laughs> hour. But uh, let's move on to Would You Rather. And I'll ask, would you rather be a contestant on America's Next Top Model or be a model and Bella? Um, straight up, I would rather be a model land Bella because there is a possibility, however remote, that I would get a superpower mm. for reasons that are never explained. And I would rather be an America's Next Top Model contestant because then I wouldn't die in some kind of like monumentally ill-conceived and impossible to comprehend weird sci-fi fashion. Like <laughs> being killed by like a half cat, half model in the catwalk corridor. <laughs> right, yeah, because if you fuck up a next top model, like Tyra yells at you and then you have to go home. Right. But if I you fuck up a model and you die. I would be there for like a week because I'm not modely enough for them. Oh, yeah. Or I would be there for longer and I would just be like the too smart girl. And whatever, I've always wanted to be the too smart girl on America's Next Top Model anyways. Thanks, Elise. <laughs> so definitely America's Next Top Model for me. I'm going to go America's Next Top Model, too, because being in Model Land also posits that then I go back to this, like, weird dystopia world where, like, then I'd probably have to work in a factory. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, next question. Would you rather be a Model Land Bella or be Bella from Twilight? Hmm. Gosh, it's really hard. It's not hard at all. I'd be Bella from Twilight. She's a super vampire. And she has. I mean, she's I'm a really rich Bella from woman. Twilight too, but it's just hard for me to accept that. <laughs> but yeah, yeah I think, Bella from Twilight. I think I would I also be Bella from, from Twilight because I would automatically get the superpower, whereas as a model lamb Bella, it's more of a crapshoot. And also, I don't know. I guess I get to live forever or something. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Yeah. Although, I mean, if we did go to Model Land, you know, we could do a lot for the cause of um, accepting unconventional beauty, which is very important. I don't know. I'm pretty lazy. I think I'd rather just be a super vampire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Same. All right. Last up, would you rather, and this I think is really the central question that the book is trying to get at, would you rather be conventionally beautiful or unconventionally beautiful? <laughs> Because those are your only two options. Only two. Obviously, there's no there's no ugly people. Right. Well, there's no ugly people that we have to care about. Those, right. yeah. those ugly people just exist to make us things. They're just garbage people, sweatshop workers, waste of human space who make accessories for all of the beautiful and unconventionally beautiful people. Just like in real life. Yes, like exactly. Um... I would probably rather be conventionally beautiful because then I wouldn't spend 80% of the book concerned I was going to be made into a human sacrifice. I could just be like, whatever, I'm a hot bitch, I'm supposed to be here. Mm, yeah. And, and like only be haunted by trauma from my past life if my past life had been traumatic and involved, you know, like leading a family of poverty-stricken Indian people to their death on a Bollywood movie set. Yes. Yes. <laughs> As one of the girls in this book did, by the way. Yes, she did. Um, I would rather be unconventionally beautiful because glasses are a really important part of my look, and you can't be conven- conventionally beautiful and wear glasses. I think we Very all know true. that. So. Very true. Um, 
I, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I would rather be unconventionally beautiful because I feel like I'm already unconventionally beautiful and my life is pretty awesome. So I would rather keep my current life, even though television tells me that if I was conventionally beautiful, people would just give me things and do things for me just because I was so pretty. But, you know, I'll just stick with the life I have. It's pretty good. You actually make a great point. As an unconventionally beautiful person, my life is pretty dope. And people give me shit all the time. (laughs) Shout out to my friend Ashley, who just sent me a Hank the Ballpark pup bobblehead. (laughs) Every day. So, we're killing it, basically. (laughs) Yeah, basically, yeah. (laughs) We don't need Tyra to teach us that being unconventionally beautiful is okay. We already know. And our beauty is way more unconventional (laughs) than hers is. (laughs) Okay, let's take a real quick pass at some Raiders advisory. I'm going to start off and say, just watch America's Next Top Model. Or better better yet, yet, RuPaul's Drag Race. Race. (laughs) (laughs) Don't read books. Books are for unconventionally beautiful losers. (laughs) I'll say that when I started watching RuPaul's Drag Race, I was just like, why did I waste all of the time I wasted watching America's Next Top Model when this show is everything that show is? Plus a million times more interesting and better and less poisonous. Yeah, good. Well, um, because America's Next Up Model came first. So there were some years when it wasn't physically possible to be watching Drag true. Race. Very true. Um, I'm going to recommend The Hunger Games and any other competition-based dystopias that have a commentary on society and, you know beauty and shit like that you know they, they're probably better than this yeah mm-hmm. uglies by scott westerfeld is another great one that tri- well no there's four of them i guess yeah. those books mm-hmm. um i'm gonna say let's just cut this short because this is we have too much shit to talk about we'll post a full list at worstbestsellers.com check it out or just don't even worry about stupid books just watch drag race you'll be happier <laughs> That's my professional opinion as a librarian. (laughs) So now we'll just move on to candy pairing, where much like at a restaurant, a waiter might recommend a fine wine to go with your meal. We will recommend a candy to go with the reading of this masterpiece of whatever garbage this was supposed to be. (laughs) Um, I'm going to this is kind of an obvious one because it is Tukey's favorite food and she eats it 500 times in the book. But um, just whipped cream straight from the can. And I think it's fitting because, I mean, I like whipped cream, but if you, if I were to eat a whole can of it, it would probably make me sick. And this book is the equivalent of, like, five cans of whipped cream, but there's no, like, waffle or anything underneath it. It's, like, just a huge pile of whipped cream, and it will make you die. Um, I would say that I would recommend one of those like really pretty spun sugar, multicolored, intricate lollipops, uh, which is very pretty to look at and like a good idea in theory. But when you actually try to taste it, it doesn't really taste like anything and it's more trouble than it's worth. Um, And despite Googling uh, hubristic candies, I came up with nothing that fit that definition. Uh, so what I'm going to say is those personalized M&Ms, um, you know, the ones you can get with your initials on them, only they would be with Tyra's initials in Tyra's favorite color. And the insides would be whipped cream flavored instead of chocolate because this book is all about Tyra and Tyra hates chocolate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
She really hates chocolate. Oh my god, she is a white supremacist. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Tyra. (laughs) All right, let's move on to um, our our other favorite game, which is called The Rock Paper Snicked. And Kate will say who Dwayne the Rock Johnson would be if he were in the in the world of this book, and I'll say who Wolverine would be. And Margaret will choose either one of those two as the winner, or paper, which would be to leave this work as is, which I can kind of understand because it's already very long. <laughs> All right, if the Rock were in Model Land, uh, he would be a former Model Land bestostero who worked with CL to break down the harmful Model Land ideals and stereotypes. But he would then break away from CL when he realizes he's slightly more radical in his approach than she is, and also that she's got some weird PTSD stuff going on that she refuses to treat. On his own, he would found a secret school focusing on whole body wellness, health, and emotional well-being, and he would scout potential recruits all throughout the world. He'd find Tuki and her friends before the Day of Discovery and enroll them in his school so that before they could get embroiled in all of the model and mess. <laughs> Sounds good. He would do that. Yeah, yeah he's great. a good guy. He eats a lot of cod, though. Yeah, yeah, a lot of cod. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... But I just have to say that the image of Wolverine as the mentor at an all-girls modeling school is, like, basically my dream comic book series. Like, if Marvel... I mean, I know he's dead right now, but if they were... I hope that's their first move. Was like, bring him back from the dead. And he's like, you know what? Like, I'm done with the X-Men. I'm done with the Avengers. I'm just going to focus on this modeling school for right now. Like, I would... I would subscribe. <laughs> to that comic <laughs> so that said um i think wolverine and he would he would work at model and he would be one of the gurus which is what they call the teachers and um he would teach self-defense to the models but because of the world of, it would be called like fierceosity i think but he wouldn't call it that himself he would just call it self-defense but that's what it would say in like the model and syllabus like fierceosity at purple o'clock <laughs> and <laughs> It, it would be heavily implied, but never stated outright that he's there um, in penance because of something that happened to some beautiful dead woman from his past, like one of the 50. And <laughs> he's, you know, he's been there for a while. And then when he sees Chucky and her friends, he he realizes that things are changing and... Um, Tuki trusts him and she confides in him that she thinks CL's gonna like kill an experiment on them and he doesn't know the whole story but he's like that's probably like he's like this school's fucked up you're probably right so he helps them escape and then he probably moves on and and then joins a superhero team once he gets down off the mountain all right so I get to pick rock paper snicked right this is hard um because I always want there to be more of the rock in everything. Mm-hmm. But Wolverine at a model school, it's, I can't resist it. It's too good. It's so, so good. Snicked is definitely what I'm picking. <laughs> Wolverine would have made this book so much better. Oh my God. So many things would have made this book so much better. Nothing would have made it better than it not existing at all, though. <laughs> no, I but can't it definitely wasn't that. picking paper. 
I've got to say that the, the best part about the rock, paper, snicked is that as long as you don't choose paper, there's no wrong answer. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so far, no one has chosen paper. And the what? day that someone does, I feel like will be the day that both Kate and I have like completely failed. Yes. <laughs> also, the day that we would no longer be friends with that person. Right. Or I, I guess the day that we chose an actually good book. I don't know. I feel like there's literally no book in the world that would not be improved by either Dwayne the Rock Johnson or Wolverine or both. Both. I mean, the the Bible, way better with Wolverine in it. Way better. Pride and Prejudice. Put the rock in there. It's great. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely this book, though. Put him in there. (laughs) So, anyway, let's move on to the moral of the story. All right. I would say that the moral of the story is... That you don't have to be traditionally beautiful to get somewhere in life. I mean, as long as you're not, as long as you're, you know, non-traditionally beautiful, you still have to be beautiful. That's super important, obviously. But you could be non-traditionally beautiful, is what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. But beautiful still. Super beautiful. Uh, My moral of the story is that friendship is magic or possibly shared delusions but definitely one of those things and uh jumping off of shared delusions <laughs> my moral of the story is megalomania is a sickness and someone should treat it medically before it results in an incomprehensible and terrible 550 page dystopian sci-fi novel that naive innocence might inflict upon themselves slash their friends as i did <laughs> don't make my mistake <laughs> We forgive you, Margaret. Thanks, guys. You're real friends. And I know it now. I know it now. See, yeah, that's another model, like, our moral of this book is, like, you have to put friendship to, like, weird tests. Yeah. Friendship is magic. <laughs> All right. Um, now is the time for Duarte's Corner, when I give my cat Duarte a moment to express his feelings about the book. You know what, Duarte, you're right. We did not talk very much at all about the catwalk corridor. Um, that, I'm glad you raised that, though. That was a, a pretty good good part of the book, but we just ran out of time to talk about it. Yeah, I'm not sure how I feel about the sequel being entirely about the catwalk corner, just for another 550 pages. But if that's what you want, as usual, Duarte, there is lots of room on Archive of Our Own for your own <laughs> interpretations of these books. <sighs> All right. Um, now it's time for um, closing thoughts from the humans. Kate or Margaret, anything? I'm just so sorry. And guys, <laughs> please remember, this book is not so bad it's good. It's just so bad. Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I understand the impulse to want to read. I did already read it before this, but it's just not really worth your time. Yeah. it's It's pretty long and... A lot of things happen um, that don't need to happen and that don't make any sense and that are never resolved. That being said, we've talked before about making kind of like a hierarchy of books with like the Christmas sweater and not cool being on one end. 
and a bunch of other stuff being on the other end. And I would say that this would probably be one of the the pro markers for me up there with I didn't come here to make friends and the Christopher Pike book. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, yeah. There, we have definitely read worse. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, now I want to, even though, um, even though this podcast is already too long, we hope you'll continue to listen to it for a few more moments because Kate and I want to tell you about an opportunity you have to give us some money, um, which is not to us uh, directly, but rather that Kate and I are both actually raising money for some charitable causes that are near and dear to us. And there's a link on our web page, worstbestsellers.com, where you can get links and a little more detail. But um, I'm raising money for the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network and also um, for the Kentucky Abortion Access Bullathon, um, both of which are great causes. And I'm raising money for the Massachusetts NAMI Walk, which is the National Alliance on Mental Illness, which is also a great cause. Mm-hmm. And if you donate any amount to any of any of those three, um, what we will do for you is either write you um, a, a thicklet of some kind or um, color you a picture or create a artisanal Photoshop job for you, which if you don't know, Kate and I are both super great at Photoshop. We're, excellent. We're, we're super pro, excellent, amazing professional Photoshoppers. We're as good at Photoshop as Tyra Banks is at writing. Um, <laughs> we're great. And also, uh, if you would like, we would give um, give a shout out on the podcast to you, um, or if you would like to use it to, you know, send greetings to a friend who also listens to the podcast or to promote something, um, that is also a fine thing that you can do. And so our, our first shout out is to Laura, who you might remember from our Fifty Shades movie episode. And she has requested that we um, tell you about her Twitter handle, which is at Signaut, C-Y-G-N-A-U-T, because she is actually also raising money for an abortion access bullathon, specifically the Baltimore one. And if you're listening to this, maybe you live near Baltimore, maybe you just have some extra cash and you really want to support abortion rights everywhere, um, maybe you would pay her a visit and donate also to her abortion bullathon team. Again, that's Signaut, C-Y-G-N-A-U-T. Check her out and help her out, but also help me and Kate out, please. Yes. <laughs> and um, so really quick, as always, you can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter at Worst Bestseller with no S. You can download our past episodes on Stitcher and iTunes. And if you do, please rate and review us so that we don't have to send you to Catwalk Corridor. Yeah, you'll get um, your face scratched right off. Legit. You can also visit us at worstbestsellers.com where you can find past episodes, the um, footnotes for this episode, our recommended reader reading, reader's advisory, and also occasionally extra essays and links and things like that that we throw up there. Just all good stuff. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at 14across. You can follow me on Twitter at Renata Snacks. And you can follow me on Twitter at Mrs. Friday Next. You should tell them about Two Bossy Dames also, Margaret. Yes, and you can also read my newsletter every week. Uh, you can sign up for it at tinyletter.com slash twobossydames. Uh, and that is me and my good friend Sophie combing the internet to bring you only the best and most charming things. 
It's true. It's true. It's extremely charming. We Super. highly endorse it. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Um, and I think finally that is all the things that we have to say to you, except that uh, join us again in two weeks when we'll be reading Disclosure by Michael Crichton. I Thanks hope you so like much. that one better. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for listening, guys. Bye. 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 Slapping herself over the back with a plank of wood like the albino from the Da Vinci Code. <laughs> <laughs>